My collaborator today is Stevie Croissant, founder of We Are Her, a blog turned not-for-profit helping survivors of abuse to find community on the path of healing. Stevie speaks from her experience as the coordinator of this online community, but also as a survivor of an abusive relationship. She talks about healing as an ongoing, active process that requires engagement and self-care, and not just pampering, but doing the work of unlearning patterns and ideation internalized through the experience of abuse. While she emphasizes that this is a personal journey and that the path of healing is different for everyone, she does name a few things that seem to be universally beneficial, like allowing yourself to be vulnerable, asking for help, and sharing your story. Sharing your story is the backbone of the We Are Her community and has been a huge part of Stevie's own healing journey. She says it's her family and that sharing her story has taught her more about love than anything else in her life. Content notification. While neither of us speaks about anything explicitly, this is an episode about abuse and surviving abuse. So first of all, thank you so much for making time to collaborate on an episode. Well, Kate, thank you so much. I am so honored that I get to talk with you today. Fantastic. Uh, And I always start off by asking my guests to speak a bit about what their background is and how their background kind of brought them to the work that they're doing, which I frame as the move from I am suffering to there is suffering. So whatever it was in your experience that moved you to doing work of service. Sure. I am actually a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault. And in order to heal from my experiences with trauma, I actually started a website called We Are Her. We Are Her originally started as a blog to help survivors connect with other survivors because it's so important to realize that you're not alone on your healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gave survivors a chance to share their voice and their stories. And from there, We Are Her kind of grew into a nonprofit because so many survivors were finding uh, value in what We Are Her was doing. And so I'm not an expert. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a life coach, but I am an expert in being a survivor. And I am slowly becoming an expert in helping others through the power of sharing our stories. And it's so important. I think everyone has a story. And I think that the voices of survivors are some of the most beautiful voices that we have. And I'm so happy that I'm able to provide a space for them to be able to share their voices. And so Um, I guess, as you were saying, like out of my suffering, um, I'm hoping to, you know, ease the suffering of others by letting them know that they're worthy and what they have to say matters. Mm, That's beautiful. So the theme of the show is in the titles, the name of the title that everything is workable. And what I've learned from doing this and contemplating that a lot is that what makes something workable isn't always what we think that it is or always what we've been told it might be. And so when we're talking about leaving an abusive relationship and learning like the path of healing, there's a lot that doesn't seem workable. And there's a lot about what we're told to expect versus what it's actually like. So to start, could you just share some myths about abuse that you've come to see as someone who's working with a community of survivors and also being a survivor yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there. There's so much that we're told that we should expect. And really, the biggest thing about healing from trauma or abuse is that you have to throw all of those expectations out the window. Um, The biggest thing that I tell people is there's no timeline when it comes to healing. And some people get really hung up on that. 
you want to do well, obviously. Um, and our society makes it really hard for people who have depression or anxiety or PTSD or other mental health issues to really just be comfortable having those and being comfortable healing on their own timeline with those. Um, and I, that's, I see it so much in survivors, um, who are suffering that they just want to get better tomorrow. So yeah, I think that's like one of the biggest myths that are out there is that, you know, healing is easy and that, you know, everybody heals at the same pace and that we have these expectations that everybody heals the same, which is not at all the case. Mm-hmm. Or, or that like there's a formula. Right. Yeah. There's no instruction manual for healing. You know, the beautiful thing about healing is that we all get to kind of write our own instruction manual for it. Right. Um, what have you learned about doing that for yourself? Like what are, what are things that are in your instruction manual? You know, I've kind of in the middle of writing mine, I guess. I think the biggest thing about healing is that it is, it's active, right? And mm-hmm. so many Times we want to just push off the idea of like healing as this passive thing. For myself, it's really been the fact that I have to make it an active thing. Every day I work at it. Every day I work at self-care. I work at the things that my therapist has taught me in terms of realigning my thoughts and, and really embracing my emotions. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the times healing with self-care even, I think, It's so easy to write that off as, oh, I'm going to have a bubble bath and a bottle of wine tonight. But real self-care is actually spending hours really reevaluating your thoughts, embracing them, and really trying to nail down why you are feeling the way you are feeling. And not to say that like having a bottle of wine and a bubble bath isn't self-care, but um, it's so easy to just think that that's the only way to provide yourself care because it's such a passive way to handle your emotions. And again, like I think the biggest thing with healing is that it's active and it's so easy to just write that off and, you know, stay sad and not ever heal because you're not doing anything actively to help yourself. Mm, I think like what you're talking about, about creating community, being a part of that, right? When you can connect with others and it's almost like what you've created with We Are Her is sort of like a sanctuary for survivors to come together and share. What do you see is the role that that has to play in your own healing? And what's that like being a coordinator of that space? Yeah, community is huge. When I was a survivor, I found a community in the town that I was living in. And it was the first time I was actually able to be vulnerable with other people who understood my story. And vulnerability is such an asset. And I know that you've talked about this with Shay Huff because she's talked about it with me as well. And vulnerability, she just like rocks it and absolutely just shares how important it is to be vulnerable with other people. And I think that's the really good thing about finding a community for yourself is you're able to find other people you can be vulnerable with um, and other people that you don't have to worry about judging you or criticizing your story or your journey. That's really important part of We Are Her. And being able to facilitate that is huge for me. Not only do I have my own community from that, but I'm seeing the growth in other people every single day. Um, And I'm seeing people be vulnerable. And in return, I'm able to keep being vulnerable with my story and my journey. And it's a give and take for sure with everybody. And it's so beautiful to kind of see everybody come together and 
be able to share those intimate parts about healing and the trauma that they've been to and really learn and grow from other people. And, and also, I think understanding what vulnerability is, like, how do you understand what it is? Because I feel like there's lots of misconceptions there, too. You know, I think vulnerability is probably different for everybody. But vulnerability is when you're truly honest and open in a way that helps you tell your story. It's about letting yourself be free with the intimate details of your life. And you know that that it really is different for everybody. You know, for me, it's really opening up about what's happened to me in my life and not holding back any details because I'm afraid I'm going to get judged. I definitely want to dig in a little bit around the sort of the ritual and practice of sharing stories. But before we go there, I think as well, this is helpful to name and talk about around vulnerability that when you're talking about someone who is a survivor of abuse, that can be an incredibly hard place to go of being vulnerable because it feels a lot. And like full disclosure that I am also a survivor of abuse. I was in a emotionally and mentally abusive relationship for about four years where I experienced a lot of gaslighting and manipulation and codependency. It was really hard for me to relearn vulnerability because I had had to put up so many walls basically to protect myself. Yes. Oh my God. And so if you're in a relationship like that, right, you can't be vulnerable because it's going to be used against you. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's so hard relearning how to trust other people, but there's also a beauty in being vulnerable again with people who you should trust. Mm-hmm. And what have you learned about navigating that basically like navigating trusting relationships or understanding what it is to have a healthy to to be healthy in your vulnerability versus putting yourself at risk. Yeah. And I think that's definitely something you have to learn as a survivor because so many survivors have come out and said, well, I told a friend or a family member who I've trusted and all of a sudden they're judging me. And I've gone through a lot of that same thing. I have family members who are very quick to judge my story or criticize me for being vulnerable with the details that I've released. Um, and I think a lot of that honestly is just expected Um, If you have family members or friends who you have doubts about, just expect that Um, Mm -hmm. and maybe you don't share all of that with them. Um, And unfortunately, things happen where you have a best friend that you tell and you think that they're going to be completely supportive and they aren't. But make sure when that happens, you don't put the blame on yourself for sharing. You have nothing wrong with you for sharing your story. And I think that it says a lot about a person who's willing to take that risk with people they think they should trust. Um, Because if you trust somebody and they break that, that's not on you. Mm -hmm. And then that, that feeds really well into this process of sharing our stories and the importance of doing that, especially in a society that reinforces a lot of victim blaming patterns. (laughs) Um, So yeah, what have you learned, first of all, from sharing your own story and then from hearing the stories of the people who you've, you've created community for through this blog? Yeah, I think by sharing my story, I've really learned who my family is, right? Not always who you share blood with. We Are Her is my family now because these followers who are a part of We Are Her know so much about me and they're able to say, hey, even though this happened to you, we still love you. And in return, I am able to do the same thing with them. And so sharing my story has really taught me much more about love than I think I would have ever gotten had I not had this story because I am able to be vulnerable with it. 
Um, from hearing other people's stories, I think I have learned. Oh man, this is a really good question. I wish I had a succinct answer for you. Oh, you don't um, have to be succinct. Go ahead and <laughs> go <yeah>. deep. <laughs> yeah. Um, hearing other people's stories has really taught me so much about myself. Even I've always been a storyteller at heart growing up, like reading was so beautiful to me where I could escape into these other worlds. But when you read a story, that's not fiction, this is other people's lives. It really teaches you so much about the world and it teaches you how beautiful it is. Because even though a lot of the stories that I read are about pain and trauma and hurt, you see these survivors who get up every single day and they try to make their lives better. And these stories have brought so many of us together and we're able to connect other survivors and realize the strength that so many of us possess. And it's really beautiful because so many of us have been told that we're not strong and that we're not brave and that we're not resilient and that we're not worthy. But reading these stories really shows you just how worthy everyone who's writing these stories really is. And so I think it really just teaches you how beautiful the world really can be, even among the hurt and the pain that we have. Mm, yeah, that's great. Oh, there's a few there's a few pieces there that I just kind of want to sit with for a moment here. You were saying about how sharing your story has really taught you about love. And what when we're talking about being in an abusive relationship, we're talking about when love is used to manipulate and control. So it's, it's love that's usually very conditional. So what has been your shift in understanding of, of the many ways that love shows itself? You know, I think going into my abusive relationship, I really didn't have a concept of what love was. Myself, like many people, probably learned what love was from pop culture. And I like to reference that John Cusack movie, Say Anything, where this guy gets rejected by this girl. So he creeps outside of her window and holds up the boombox and won't leave until, you know, she agrees to go back with him. And when I was in high school, I had that situation happen to me. I remember my first boyfriend did something to me so terrible that I broke up with him and I was in my bedroom crying. And all of a sudden there was like a rock thrown at my window. And I was like, I don't want a rock thrown at my window. I am so upset that he hurt me. Mm -hmm. But because I had this misconstrued idea of what love was, I was like, Oh, you know, he's doing this big romantic gesture and I should take him back. And so love to me was, what can they do to show that they're making big, big, grand gestures? And that must mean that they love me. And so I think my idea of love was always tainted because of things like that. And, you know, there are other things that came into play with it, but I don't know that I really knew what love really meant. And so after going through my abusive relationship, I started to really understand that the people who loved me the most were the people who supported me and didn't put conditions on the love that they had for me. Where before everything was so conditional, you really realize that the friends who just tell you that they love you because you are you are really the people who are going to be there for you when you really need them to be. And they're going to be the people who are going to care about those moments where you're both vulnerable together. And those instances have really taught me what love is. That's fantastic. And then I think also like there, you talked about resiliency and uh, there's actually um, 
lyrics. Let's see if I can remember them. Lyrics from Mumford and Sons that are um, love. It will not betray you, dismay or enslave you. It will set you free. And to me, when I heard those lyrics, I was like, yes, right? Like, that is the kind of love that I want in my life. And that really helps with that sense of like being resilient, being able to come back and be vulnerable again, that kind of thing. So what has been, and I can say like song lyrics have helped me so much with my resiliency Um, (laughs) (laughs) and community and sharing stories and all of that stuff would have been like things that you have found have really helped you with your own resiliency. Oh my God. Yes. I can totally relate. Um, songs have been huge. Kesha's new album. Um, she's a survivor herself and just hearing the words of somebody who gets what you're going through is incredible, especially at the level of influence that she has. So she's been huge. And I think I sent you a story too that I had written called blindness. It's by a band called brothers Gao, and their lyrics really, really helped me as well in terms of moving on after trauma um, and forgiveness after trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the blog is amazing. And there, so this is like this wealth of stories and reflections. And I, I feel like that in itself is just an amazing resource for anyone, whether they participate in the blog or not. Um, but again, it's about finding that kind of common ground and what I'd like to like unpack a little bit with you is about community when you, your abuser might be in the same community as you with other people who also know them and navigating that. That is definitely a difficult road to navigate. And like, what terms are we talking like forgiveness or like healing or, you know, kind of working your way around, like, Um, I guess maybe if you could specify that a little bit more. I think all of it, really. Like, what is it to, um, I don't know, a good example is, like, I had a conversation recently with a friend online, and they were saying, like, within their relatively close-knit queer community, it was known that there was someone who was abusive. And they were like, what is our responsibility to other people in the community? And what is our responsibility to that person? And like, where, how do we work with that? How do we work in community where we want to honor the truth and the validity of what a survivor has gone through and what they need for their path of healing? While at the same time, there's going to be like mutual friendships with the abuser and they might still be in that community. And so it's like, how do you, how do you navigate all of that? What has been your experience of navigating that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me personally, after I broke up with my abuser, I cut ties with anybody who was still talking to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was such a toxic relationship to the point where I couldn't have mutual friends. And I think that probably varies from person to person, but with my case too, um, my abuser started dating a girl right after me. And I had that same question. Do I let her know? He's certainly heard of, we are her. She certainly knows that I have this blog and this nonprofit that started because of the relationship that I had with him. And I decided not to reach out personally. You know, I didn't want there to be anything taken out on her in case she had decided to respond to me and he figured out. Well, because I had this resource, We Are Her, I actually wrote a story for her 
And it was all based around, I hope that he changes, but in the event that he doesn't, know that I'm here for you. And I think that this was really powerful for both of us because at one point she did reach out and she essentially told me, hey, I've been told that every single story you wrote on We Are Her is a lie. And I always believed your story because parts of it were starting to come true in my life. And it got to the point where every single story you had written had also become my story. I think that was more powerful for her because she got to make the decision on her own. My ex never got to say, oh, my crazy ex is reaching out to you. Here's why you shouldn't believe her. And that was really hard because I always wanted to have done more. But at the end of the day, it ended up being what worked for both of us because she got to see on her own terms that we shared that same truth. Yeah. And of that as well, I think that speaks to one of those myths that there's a sense of potentially you might be jealous of somebody that your former partner who was abusive ends up with, or that there is going to be a disconnect. Have you found that there is actually like a lot more sort of connection and uniting around having a shared partner (laughs) who was abusive than there is actually disconnect? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. The stories we can swap and it's almost a little bit sad um, because sometimes when we swap stories, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror At one point, I wanted to just shake this reflection in the mirror and say, get away from him. I've already experienced this. We don't need to go through this again with you, right? And so it's hard sometimes because you can't tell a person what to do. You can only plant the seeds and hope that they leave on their own terms and make decisions that are best for them. But yeah, there is kind of like a weird beauty to it that we both get to say that we're these strong, awesome women now who are doing great things. Mm. Um, Her and I just connected the other day and I was like, would you have thought two, three or four years ago that we would both be doing this? Like, how cool is it that we're both successful and we're away from him? Um, She never thought she was going to leave him. And at one point I never thought I was going to either. And here we are doing amazing things without him. And we're finally realizing our own worth and we're able to, you know, smile at each other and look at each other and tell each other that same thing, you know, that we're awesome people who got to live and got to make it away from him. Uh, So you did mention forgiveness. And I think that's a big topic that we should probably talk about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I follow your Instagram feed, which is fantastic. Highly recommend people follow the, we are her Instagram feed. And I see it comes up on there a lot where people talk about how they feel kind of pressured to forgive their abuser. What's been your personal experience and what have you learned about forgiveness with, you know, listening to all these stories all the time? Yeah, I mean, I personally, in the foreseeable future, future will never forgive my abuser. The things he has done to me and countless other women to me is unforgivable. And much like healing, forgiveness is such an actionable thing. It's not passive. And For me, I found that forgiveness is almost like a ritual because I have to actually sit down and process a lot of the feelings that go along with it. And if I make it this passive thing, it has no meaning to me. You know, I know when I was little, for example, I would get in fights with my brother all the time and my parents would say, oh, you know, say sorry and forgive each other. But we had no comprehension behind it when we said it. Um, And we didn't understand what we were saying. And now as an adult, forgiveness has that level of comprehension that I never had before. It's an act where 
it means something for me. Um, and I don't feel like giving my abuser the time and energy that it takes to forgive someone. I don't feel he's deserving of that. I've worked really hard to forgive myself. And I feel like through my trauma, I'm the only person that I've needed to forgive so far. And it's been hard. I've spent countless hours working on going through the past toxic cycles that I've found myself drowning in and really learning to correct those mistakes and grow from them. And part of my forgiving, like healing journey and forgiving myself has been realizing that I was a young girl and part of life is growing up and making mistakes. But part of forgiving yourself is realizing that you have to grow from those mistakes. And it's such a process. And I think that if I'm going to spend that much time really forgiving something, then it can't be wasted on someone like my abuser. Mm, that's really powerful. And I think as well, like uh, I'm looking at how you have to start with yourself anyway, even if you get to a point where you can have forgiveness for someone else, you can't do it unless you've done your own work, which is so great to like that you name that you're like, I, I had to go through some stuff. And I, I think personally, like, that was huge for me was acknowledging the patterns that I had entered into so that I didn't repeat those patterns, but also acknowledging that none of those patterns made what happened to me. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as well that, uh, defining forgiveness for yourself, like for me, uh, I have been able to find forgiveness for my ex, but I don't think forgiveness is absolution. <laughs> um, and I still want them to take responsibility. But for me, forgiveness, I define it. And that helped me find it because it was something where I was like, actually, I'm going to define it for myself. So it's not that kind of contractual thing that we get taught as kids, like you described, right? Where it's just sort of like, oh, you hurt someone, say you're sorry, and it means nothing. Yeah, forgiveness is not just this like, let it go thing. It's no small affair. And we can't be dismissive of our feelings. I think a lot of the times, like, you're right, like, it is just this say you're sorry and let it go. But it's not healthy to just let feelings go. It's healthy to actually process those feelings and understand why you're having them. Um, and I think that's, again, like why forgiveness is such a ritual for me, because I'm not just letting those feelings go and dismissing them. Mm, yes, that's fantastic. And that leads really nicely into the question I wanted to ask about anger. Like, what about anger? Like, what have you learned about honoring your anger? Just because you are angry does not mean you're an angry person. I struggled with concepts like that for a long time. Like just because I am anxious or depressed does not mean that I am an anxious or depressed person. It's so important to have those feelings. As humans, we're allowed to feel angry and anger can be beautiful as long as you're feeling it in a positive way. So I've been really working lately on, I've heard of this concept called C and mm -hmm. any have a negative emotion, you want to separate your feelings, that's the S for C, embrace them, and then evaluate them. And this has really helped me process my negative emotions so I can understand and appreciate why I'm having them. Because it's so important to have those emotions because they're what makes us human. It's just important that we don't react negatively after having an emotion like that. It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hit somebody. And that's kind of like where that divide is in figuring out, I was angry and that's okay. And I also 
acted respectively towards anybody else after that. Um, And I think that gives you such emotional maturity when you're able to figure that out. And it's still something I work on all the time. But yeah, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel those things. We're human. It's beautiful that we can feel those things. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about having been through an abusive relationship where anger is used to control and you see what happens when anger is not regulated. And so it can be something where you can really reject. Like I know for a long time I felt like, oh, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't ever feel angry because it's dangerous because I've seen how bad it can be. And so, yeah, learning to honor it and respect it and listen to it. What have you learned about sitting with the anger? So seeing it and then embracing it, what's your experience of the embracing? Honestly, embracing has been the hardest part for me to learn because it's such a new concept. And someone I was talking to told me, if you're having trouble embracing emotion, just tell the emotion, thank you. It's almost like you're writing like a mini love note to the emotion where you're like, wow, I'm thankful that I was angry because someone actually hurt me. And that's a great reaction to have when somebody hurts you that way. Um, And it really helps you be able to understand that emotion and appreciate it. And it sounds weird to like thank an emotion, but it works. (laughs) Um, I, I totally agree with you. I have learned that as a, like through my Buddhist practice, that's largely the point of meditating is to sit and be present with everything and anything that comes up, including really strong emotions. And that's also a really common guidance that you get in meditation practice. If something really intense comes up is to just sort of thank it or like bow to it. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I like, I like that idea too, like thanking it, bowing it to it because then it shifts the perspective that you have about it. And then it's not seen as negative. Emotions don't have to be negative if we don't react negatively after having them. Mm-hmm. What other what other really intense emotions through your healing process have you learned to honor? Um, the emotion of like hate has been one that I've learned to honor. I know there was a time after my ex and I broke up that I had this intense hatred. Um, and it does kind of align with anger, but I was so mad, not just for what he was doing to me, but you know, the fact that he had a new victim essentially, and the fact that the justice system didn't work out in my favor or her favor in order to get him the help that he needed, or, you know, have him actually pay the consequences for what he did at that time. I really had no idea how to control those emotions and how to embrace those emotions. And looking back when it wasn't detrimental, I guess, to how I reacted. But now that I have those, they don't feel so heavy on me. Um, I'm able to still feel emotions like hate and anger, but they don't weigh me down and they don't ruin my day like they used to. Mm, That's so good too, because like, that's another thing about, circling back around to forgiveness and the way that I view it or having some sense of, mm, if you didn't want to call it forgiveness, I'm trying to think of another word that you could use. Um, some sense of, um, I don't know. It it gets described as like, do you want to let someone live in your head rent free? And I know like if I held on to resentment or bitterness, or I fed those things, they were making me feel crap and they were changing nothing about my ex, right? Yes. And 
like you said, it's active, right? It's a process. You have to keep coming back to it. And so it's really interesting to think like honoring hatred, especially because sometimes we'll get told like, okay, anger's okay, but hatred isn't. But again, it's like learning to listen to what that's communicating to you. Like what is, what is the intelligence in the emotion, if you will? Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. There was something else that you'd said I wanted to, oh yes. So when I say the criminal justice system, I generally put quotes around justice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so talking about workability, we don't really have in uh, North America anyway, an excellent system for dealing with domestic violence, domestic abuse. How do you work with that and kind of navigate that and help support the people who come to We Are Her with the fact that there's a system that is not really set up to provide protection and service to survivors or rehabilitation for abusers? Yeah, unfortunately, I think the best way to go about it is just be honest and realistic about how our system operates. I've had so many survivors come back to me and s- with hopelessness because their case or their trial didn't go in their favor at all. And again, this goes back to expecting the expected. You can't, I hate to say this, but you're right. Our justice system, it does deserve quotes around the word justice. And I don't know how to fix it. You have to understand every option that could happen. And I think the best advice for that is to just be gentle with whatever outcome happens. Be gentle with yourself. Um, Whatever happens is not a reflection on you or your story. It is just a reflection on how broken the system is. And it, it sucks. It really does. There's no better way to put it. I mean, I've cried countless tears because of outcomes that I've had with the justice system myself. Luckily, there are some really great people out there who are fighting every day to try and, you know, turn the tides on how our justice system operates. And as a survivor, um, you really kind of have to pick your battles when it comes to court. And I really hate giving that advice because I don't like to tell people that you have to pick your battles. But this is kind of the one exception. And I try to be full of hope and love with every other aspect of being a survivor. But unfortunately, the justice system is probably the one part where I try to remain as realistic as possible just because it can be so devastating. Mm-hmm. And what have you found about the We Are Her community and how that has helped support people with the fact that they might never see any kind of actual justice? Yeah, I think there are so many of us who haven't seen the kind of justice that we definitely deserve, but it helps to know we're not alone. And it's been really great because I know so many survivors who have a court case or a trial coming up and they just get messages from other survivors saying, Hey, I know that you have this today, sending you love or, you know, thinking of you today. And just knowing that you have people who have your back, even if they have no influence in what happens in the case is so great because it, It can tear you down so much when you're in court that just knowing that there's a stranger out there on Instagram who wants to send you love and support can be so, so helpful. That sense, again, that sense of not being alone in things. So then there's also the, we've touched on this in a few little bits of what we've been talking about, talking about 
rehabilitation for people who abuse. And what do you think is kind of the, in an ideal world, what would you see as the system where abusers could be held accountable in a loving way that invites them to actually do the work they need to do while totally honoring the healing journey that survivors need to have? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm all for restorative justice. And I think that in some cases it is possible. I think that some abusers just don't know any better or they've been a part of a toxic cycle their whole life. And, and it would be so great to be able to see them get the help that they need so that they can have lives after the abuse and be able to engage in healthy, loving relationships. And I think that as a survivor, if I could see my abuser doing that and genuinely be able to trust that he has taken on this loving, healthy relationship, then I would be all for it. And again, I'm no expert. I'm not a therapist, but I've had discussions like this with my own therapist. And it seems like a lot of abusers have such deep mental health conditions that just aren't at this time fixable. You know, if you're dating somebody who is a sociopath or a psychopath, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot that we can do to help them just based on what I know. And so it doesn't seem like there's really a good fix for the justice system. You know, if you put somebody like my ex through some kind of restorative justice, I feel like he's going to play all the counselors who see him until he gets out and then continue on his abusive path. I, there's really this thing where the survivor has to trust the process. And I don't know that our government is really willing to put the time and resources into making sure that we can trust whatever process they put out there. I think it's going to be a long time before we see anything that really helps both parties. And I think it's going to be a long time before we see anything that really helps survivors. You know, in an ideal world, yeah, it would be great if everybody could heal from this and we could both trust the processes that are happening. Mm -hmm. I think also though, like looking at models that aren't, we're, we're not looking um, to like a social services or the, the police or something like that. Like what you've created with, we are her, right? Like you've created a community for survivors to connect together. And there are many examples of that because there is a lack of support and conversation and modeling something of what could be done on a larger scale. And what you're doing is because it's on the internet <laughs> has it like a great potential for growth um, and including more and more people over time and also encouraging others to create their own networks of support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think as a society, we could do better with things like preventative measures. There's so much value and education about consent and healthy relationships and boundaries that you can work to prevent these sort of toxic cycles before they come out when we're adults and we're just so ingrained in our patterns. Honestly, like that would be my number one solution to helping decrease the amount of survivors and decrease the amount of abusers is just to see these preventative measures, which they're just not at the scale that they need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, like looking at what you said, like the example of what even what we see portrayed in pop culture as romantic and just even challenging that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, people get mad when you challenge that. BuzzFeed wrote an article the other day about The Notebook, and they were like, just so you know, Noah is actually trash. And 
I was like, okay, I should read this. So I read the article and I haven't watched The Notebook since I was in high school. So at the time I was like, oh, this is so romantic. And reading the articles like, oh yeah, Noah is trash. Like he's manipulative. This relationship is super toxic. And I read the comments because I was like, oh yeah, people are going to be all about this. And people were like, do not criticize The Notebook. Like this is classic. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, like this is terrible. Like we are so okay as a society about these things that even when it's like spelled out for us, we still don't understand. Self-deception is very powerful. <laughs> it, is. it is. Yeah. But I think like, I agree with what you're saying, like the preventative things and seeing that starting to happen, that there are, there are conversations, there are those articles being written. So even if, and, and knowing that the people who are comment are always going to be the people who have the strongest feelings about it for every one person who commented, there were probably dozens of people who went away being like, hmm, I haven't thought about that before. I'm going to start looking at my media more critically. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and I guess that's the good thing about We Are Her and other blogs that are like that, because you're getting a strong opinion for things that do not tolerate abuse and toxic relationship patterns. And so hopefully we can start seeing more articles like that flood our newsfeed so that we just get reinforced that these old patterns we've seen are not what we want to keep replicating. So to finish off, I invite you to share, like basically offer anything that you would like to offer to listeners who are either doing this kind of work. So like creating community around being a survivor and supporting healing or who might just be coming from a similar place and just starting out where you were when you just started. We are her. Please, please reach out to me. I am totally okay with you having my email or um, reaching out to me on Instagram. Let's just keep growing community. Whether you're a therapist or a life coach or some other expert and you want to team up with her so that we can keep providing healing resources for survivors, I would absolutely be honored to partner with you. And if you're just coming at this from somebody who wants to know more, just reach out. I am so, so interested in just communicating with everybody who wants to know more about We Are Her or what I do to help survivors or what they can start doing to help survivors. Like I am all about conversation and having this dialogue with other people. So please reach out. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Visit weareher.net to connect with Stevie Croissant, share your story, and connect with other survivors. Visit caitlinschatch.com to find out more about everything that I do in the world, to read my blog, buy a book, and check out my art gallery. You can also become a patron or leave a tip to help support my work and practice. I'm incredibly grateful to my many patrons, without whom I could not make this the focus of my life. Immense appreciation goes to Gretchen Wagner, Julian and Shannon Hatch, Minita Budgen, Margaret Prescott, Val Delane, Perry Pugh, Annika, Jennifer Harkness, Katie Bredbeck, Laura Malkern, Michelle Puckett, and Sierra Love. The original theme song for this podcast was created by award-winning singer-songwriter Tajai Moore of Moore Music. <laughs>